I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Stocks set to fall big time. Dow futures down nearly 500. This after markets have just done something for the first time in nearly a year. Adding to global concerns, a potential Lehman Brothers moment for a part of the Chinese economy as one of the country's biggest property developers teeters on bankruptcy. While Asia falls, one recently red-hot commodity is soaring, and it could hit American and U.S. consumers right where it hurts, in the wallet. Facebook fighting back, responding to reports over how it and Instagram deals with issues from vaccines to hurting kids' mental health. And then later on, we are kicking off a special series, Go Big or Go Home one of CNBC's favorite stock pickers. It's all happening on this Monday, September 20th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Hope you had a great weekend, and get ready. Because it could be a lot of news today and a lot of selling in the markets. Futures right now are down really the most that we have seen at this hour any time this year. All the major averages are down more than 1%. Dow futures down nearly 500, off 486. NASDAQ down 153. Now, stocks had already been weak coming into this week, with the Dow posting its first three-week losing streak since September of last year. All three major averages are now negative for the month, but as always remember, context is key. All still sit less than 3% below their all-time highs. We're not even close to an official correction, but the market's all down in the red today. Dow futures, like we said, off nearly 500. Now, part of the weakness here, at least stemming from a sell-off overseas, Hong Kong in particular, Most of Asia is closed today for a trading holiday, but the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was not, and it fell more than 3%. All this as Chinese property giant Evergrande Group getting hammered and bringing down some other real estate companies with it. Evergrande closing in on a possible debt default as soon as this week if it cannot pay interest on the $300 billion in debt that it does own. Now, You may not be familiar with that company, but trust us, it is big and some major American companies, Goldman Sachs, PIMCO, Fidelity, all have at least some financial exposure to Evergrande Group. And you can see from that chart, not only in Asia, but Australian companies following as well. It is the mining names, not just real estate, that are also getting hit. That comes on fears of drying up demand from one of their biggest customers, of course, China. If the Chinese economy slows down, the ripple effects for commodities, oil and gas, real estate, consumer, are going to be felt not only there, but around the world. Also, of course, in Europe. And like us, the European markets, they are under pressure in the early going as well. We will get much more on this story in just a couple of minutes. It is right now a big one. But another major market story over the last couple of weeks has been oil and natural gas. Natural gas in particular, prices recently going nearly parabolic, straight up in recent days. They are lower a little bit right now, 
but nat gas still no five bucks per million BTU. And just this morning, UK government officials are calling for another round of emergency meetings with gas industry executives in an effort to try to stave off any kind of coming supply crisis with winter looming. Jumana Brissetti joining us now with more on this story from our London newsroom. Jumana, good morning. That's right, Brian. So just to give you a little bit more context, you mentioned that gas prices have been soaring, but particularly in the UK, the UK is amongst the hardest hit. Oil and Gas UK says wholesale prices for gas are up 250% since January, with a 70% rise since August. And that is before an expected demand spike in the colder winter months. So the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, said the problem is temporary, saying high demand in Asia had hit UK supplies. His comments come as some of the UK's biggest energy groups seek government support. Business and Energy Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng will meet with energy suppliers today amid reports the industry is pushing for a bad bank to absorb the losses and some of these smaller suppliers that were not hedged and there were quite a few of them. The spiking prices are also hitting the food sector after two fertilizer plants were forced to, sh- to, cl- uh, to close, rather, shutting Britain's CO2 production. So a lot of concerns over here in the UK building that this isn't just a natural gas heating phenomenon, but is going to have broader ramifications for other sectors, including the fertilizer sector, as well as livestock. Uh, so one of the major themes, and of course, that is the reason why this emergency meeting is happening today. If you took a look at some of the uh, British papers over the weekend, it was rife with reports over these rising gas prices and how the government is going to respond. A very big theme over here. Brian, I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, natural gas going in not just to power plants, heating, air conditioning, but chemical production, fertilizer production, to your point. We cannot emphasize this story enough. And we are, with your help, Jumana Brissetje. Thank you very much. All right, let's get right now, folks, back to the Monday markets and your money, because as we noted, stock futures, they are down nearly 500 on the Dow. All this ahead of what is said to be a very busy period. Now, here's why we say that. You've got Congress back in session this week. They're facing, remember, a fiscal cliff in just a few weeks. They've got to fund the government or it shuts down and further debate about that potential three and a half trillion dollar spending package over the weekend. Powerful West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin suggesting that maybe that debate and the bill itself needs to be pushed back until next year. That could be playing into some of the weakness in U.S. equity markets. You've also got the Fed kicking off a two-day policy meeting tomorrow. Not a lot's expected there. You've got global supply chain concerns not only still there, but in some cases getting worse. And we should get more insight when companies like FedEx, Costco, and Nike All released their earnings this week. And now, of course, brand new this morning, potential contagion from a Chinese housing and or debt crisis due to what is happening at Evergrande Group. Joining us now to talk about it all is Silvercrest Asset Management's Robert Teeter kicking off the week. And Robert, I wish we had had better markets to show you and our viewers to start us off. This is the most that we have been down in futures so far this year. I, I feel like We can pin it on Evergrande. The markets have been a little bit weak as well. We've got a fiscal cliff. It's kind of a little bit of everything, is it not? Yes, good morning, Brian. I agree. We've got a full roster of issues here. I think it's going to be a sprint between now and the end of the year. I think we'll work through most of these, but you're absolutely right. It's not just one thing. There's Evergrande. 
Uh, there's the issues playing out in Washington, D.C. with the Fed and fiscal policy and especially tax policy. Um, you've got sentiment, which has been declining in recent weeks. I think that plays into how events unfold in Washington, D.C. And then lastly, we've had this ongoing divergence between inflation and interest rates, which I think all of it adds up to a lot of mystery for investors. And it's a wake up call that there's issues beyond COVID. Yeah. And by the way, seasonally, it is, as we now know, the worst month of the year for stocks historically. Doesn't mean it's terrible all the time, but September is known as not only a month where we average a decline, but it also tends to be more volatile. You throw all this stuff on top of it, you get what we have right now, although we are still just a couple percent off our all-time highs. Got to put that in there for context. I guess the key question then, Robert, is what do we do? That's right. I I think you're absolutely right. That context is important. This market's proven itself to be very resilient. If you tick through the issues that that you and I just went through there, Brian, it sounds like something that would be a more significant decline. And as you noted, we're only down a few percent here. That could continue a bit. Um, But I think most of these things resolve themselves. You know, when you think through each of these issues, a lot of them get back to that key point of, I think, sentiment. You know, Washington is is not going to press forward in, in the face of declining sentiment. Um, I think you have an environment where economic metrics, while they've moderated a bit, will continue to get better. And so I think while we might be running in place for a little bit here, the outlook for next year is still reasonably strong. Do we need this? Do we need the market to show even a little bit of weakness? What's the stat our viewers now know? We haven't had a, a 5 or 10% decline in you know over 18 months. It has just been this up, 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 up mentality And maybe it is a little bit of a healthy sort of kick in the tush that we got to remember. Stocks can go down. Headlines like Evergrande Group sort of coming out of semi nowhere this morning. These things happen. I agree. I I think it's a very healthy wake up call. You know, when I was going through the declines that we've had uh, since we recovered the pre-COVID highs, uh, while we've had a few declines, they've all been very small, and each one has been smaller than the one before it. So I think this is a good and healthy wake-up call that there are a lot of things going on, that markets can go down from time to time. And it's a good excuse to step back and re-examine what your allocations are, what your risk tolerance is, and to take that longer-term time horizon and think about, yeah. you know, not just today, but how am I positioned for next year? Well, we know how much cash there is on the, you know, I hate the term sidelines. It's not a game, but how much money there is sort of sloshing around the world. And if our viewers watching or listening right now on SiriusXM, thank you, by the way, or to the podcast, if they are thinking about putting more money to work, should they wait? Wait until we get through funding the government, the debt ceiling, where this this spending package may go? Or is it safe to put money in now? dollar cost average as you always do, maybe hold your nose today and and this week and plow through it. Right. I think it's usually not a good idea to wait, usually not a good idea to try to guess what reaction will be to these events. As we've noted here this morning, they're all out on the table and they've been uh, somewhat digested here. So I think it is a good time to to stay where you are, stay in place. Uh, I wouldn't dial back risk here. And I think if you have a longer term time horizon, It's a good time to start thinking about what's on your buying list over these coming weeks if these issues become a little bit more dicey. Yeah, suddenly wake up and we've got these headlines out of China, the fiscal cliff. Everything's kind of happening at the same time. Robert, Tito, we appreciate your views. Thank you very much. Appreciate kicking off the show for us as well. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, we come back on this busy Monday. You're very welcome. Much more on the markets and the potential sell-off for American equities. Dow futures down almost one and a half percent right now. Great day. We have Stephanie Link with us. She will join us. 
weigh in and give you some of her favorite picks right now. Plus, we are staying with that major developing story out of China as it faces what could be one of the bigger housing crises we have seen in more than a decade. We'll get a live report from the region coming up. And then fallout from a key decision later on this week over COVID-19 booster vaccines. We'll discuss with a doctor helping to run a hospital in Boston about that and what he is seeing right now. A lot to do. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange on this busy Monday morning. Let's right now get some of this morning's top headlines and more. Silvana Hanau is here as Dow futures down nearly 500. Silvana, good morning, I guess. Yeah, that's right, Brian. Good morning. Well, uh, Senator Joe Manchin reportedly wants a, quote, strategic pause until next year over President Biden's sweeping $3.5 trillion spending plan. This, according to Axios, Manchin represents a crucial vote in a 50-50 split Senate. So he could deal a severe blow to the president's economic agenda and could also derail House approval of the $1.5 trillion spending infrastructure plan. Investment firms Tiedemann Group and Alvarium are reportedly working on a deal to merge and go public through a special purpose acquisition company. That's according to The Wall Street Journal. The deal with SPAC Cartesian Growth Corporation could be announced as soon as this week and would value the combined company around $1.4 billion. And TikTok owner ByteDance says it will restrict users in China under the age of 14 to just 40 minutes a day. The youth mode is the company's latest move to fall in line with Beijing's new position on technology use among its youngest citizens. Youth mode was first made available back in 2018, but it was solely on an optional basis. Brian? Yeah, now it's being mandated. I mean, in three hours of video games a week, a week coming down from the Chinese government. I mean, we've got kids here playing three to five hours a day on some days. Kind of incredible. What's happening in China with technology? Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you back in a couple of minutes. All right. Wow. All right. Still on deck here. Did you miss the meme stock madness or maybe do you miss it? What about Bitcoin's big boom? Not on board for the reopening trade. You just want to kind of sit and wait. Well, there is still time to make up some money. We're going to kick off our special two-week-long series, Go Big or Go Home, getting some of the best investment and stock ideas For the final three months of the year, Stephanie Link is here for you. 517, Dow features off 500, and we're back right after this. Today's big number, 65. That's how many container ships were stuck waiting off the ports of L.A. and Long Beach as of last week, an all-time record, according to the Marine Exchange of Southern California. The average wait time to get to port is over eight days. All right, welcome back and good morning. If you are just waking up or joining us on this Monday, it is going to be a very busy day in the market. Stock futures, that is not a misprint. Dow off 500 points, just under 1.5%. S&P 500 and NASDAQ futures all down more than 1%. Why? Well, Insert reason here. There's a few things. We have got new debt default concerns out of a giant Chinese property developer called Evergrande Group. 
You will no doubt hear more about them all day on CNBC. You've got the fiscal cliff coming up in a couple of weeks. Will Congress fund the government? Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia saying maybe the $3.5 trillion spending package for the president needs to be pushed back until next year. There is a lot happening, and stock futures are reflecting that. It is not just equities. Could also be a very rough day in the crypto markets. All the major coins, they are down. Ripple, down almost 8.5%. Ethereum, down 5%. Bitcoin, down nearly as much, 45,108. There is a lot going on in the markets today, and we've got you covered here on Worldwide Exchange and on CNBC all day long. All right, but right now, let's step outside of the markets and get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, including more on the growing crisis at the American border as migrants from Mexico, Latin America, and now even Haiti overwhelm the Border Patrol. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that and more. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning to you. The United States has begun that massive operation amid a crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, We're talking about nearly uh, 15,000 migrants here. Uh, Mostly of Haitian descent have been held under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. Officials attempted to block entry into Texas after immigrants have been crossing in the country for nearly three weeks. Now, migrants have been flown back to their homeland of Haiti with more expected in the coming days. Others are being bused to processing centers, including El Paso and Laredo, Texas. Now, the human remains belonging to Gabriel Pieto, uh, Petito have been found at a national park in Wyoming. The circumstances surrounding her disappearance are still unknown, but we do know she and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, had been fighting during their cross-country road trip. Gabby was reported missing on September 11th, but was last seen in August. Her fiancé returned to Florida without her and refused to speak to authorities about her whereabouts. In a new twist, he has also disappeared. Laundrie's family tell police he left with a backpack last week and has not returned. Legendary comedian Chris Rock has revealed he's tested positive for the coronavirus. On Sunday, the 56-year-old told his 5.2 million Twitter followers, quote, Hey, guys, I found out I have COVID. Trust me, you don't want this. Get vaccinated. And over to TV's biggest night, The Crown from Netflix ruled over most of the drama categories at the Emmys, winning outstanding drama series and sweeping the support and supporting and lead acting awards. And over on the comedy side, Ted Lasso took home the top award. The Apple TV head also won both the Supporting Actor Awards and star Jason Sudeikis, won for Outstanding Lead Actor. This year's Emmy nominations broke records for diversity among its nominees, but white actors swept the top 12 acting categories. But RuPaul made history as Drag Race won again for Outstanding Competition Program. With 11 Emmys, RuPaul is the most awarded black artist in Emmy history for your Monday morning headlines, Brian. You got it. Yeah, I saw that Seth Rogen made some headlines that a lot of people may not have wanted for the Emmys. Basically, like, why are we all here? Mm -hmm. He was like, I was told this was going to be outdoors. Maybe not exactly the way they wanted to kick it off, but I guess the night was was hopefully a success all around. I guess we'll we'll find out, Frank. Especially for the winners, Brian. Certainly. Well, it was for them. Ted Lasso is well a big winner. Mm -hmm. Francis, thank you very much. All right, still ahead, we're going to break down more on that contagion risk out of China to the markets with Evergrande Group. Who? Exactly. We'll talk more about it, why it's impacting stock futures. They are down 530 on the Dow, now more than 1.5% and losing steam. More on the markets, your money, follow our podcast. We're back 
right after this. Stock set to get slammed on this Monday. Dow futures down more than 500 points. The market's in the middle of their first three-week losing streak of the year. There is a lot going on with your money this morning. Is it a Lehman Brothers-like moment coming out of China? One of its biggest real estate companies warning about a debt default as soon as this week and reportedly asking employees to help pay back some of the $300 billion it owes. And fallout from the surprise decision from the FDA panel to not recommend COVID vaccine booster shots for the general public. It is all happening on this Monday, September 20th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning. Welcome from wherever you may be joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. It is a very, very busy start to your week. And let's kick off right now the show with the markets and your money because we are seeing stock futures under a lot of pressure. Dow futures, they're down more than 500 points. That is more than one and a half percent. The S&P, the Nasdaq also down more than one percent right now. I believe it is just kind of going back to the old file cabinet in the brain. The biggest drop to futures that we have seen so far this year. If not, please correct me, but I do believe that it is. Now, what's happening coming into already a moment of weakness for the equity markets. We are down now in the markets three straight weeks of losses for the Dow. And believe it or not, that is the longest weekly losing streak since, yep, you guessed it, September of last year. little context, though, as always. The Dow, at least coming into this morning, still up 13% this year. It is not just us. You've got selling pressure in the European markets as well. They're following us and following Asia. All the major averages there, they are down, led by Italy and Germany, down more than 2%. Not just equities, cryptos as well. They've been kind of tied lately. In case you're not paying attention, we are seeing big selling in the major coins. Bitcoin down 5%. XRP slash Ripple down nearly 9% as well, and Ether down almost 6%. All of this ahead of what is going to be a very busy day and a very busy week and a very busy period for all of you out there. You've got Congress. They're back in session. There's a debt ceiling debate. They've got to fund the government, the fiscal cliff, coming up at the end of September. The Fed, they kick off a two-day policy meeting tomorrow. Not a lot supposed to happen there. But we should get more on all these global supply chain worries. More than 40 ships still at anchor off of Long Beach and Los Angeles waiting to get goods to market. We're going to get earnings from Costco, FedEx, Nike. That could provide a big window into where we stand right now. And, of course, your big developing story this morning, potential contagion risks from a Chinese housing and debt fueled crisis from a big-time company that you might not be familiar with, which brings us to that and what is arguably this morning's top story and the stock at the center of that crisis. It's called Evergrande Group. It is one of China's biggest property developers and it is sitting on billions of dollars in debt and on the verge of defaulting on a key payment that is due later on this week. That stock getting hammered again overnight, losing 10%, but it has been falling now for days and weeks. That decline sending the Hang Seng Index with it. Most major markets, by the way, in Asia 
are closed for a holiday. So all we're seeing is the Hang Seng react. Shanghai, Japan, they are not open today. Now, this is not just an Asian story. You've got big financial companies here, Goldman Sachs, PIMCO, Fidelity. They all have some level of financial exposure to Evergrande or its debt. Now, still no word from the Beijing government if they plan to step in, try to bail them out and stave off what some are calling China's Lehman Brothers type moment. And as we said, it is not just Asia. We are seeing some of the mining stocks around the world. Well, why? Well, because if the Chinese market and economy slows down because they have some kind of a real estate issue either stemming from or because of Evergrande, if that economy slows down, they, as the world's biggest buyers of much oil and gas, commodities, raw materials, that could hit so many parts of the market as well. That is why we are seeing names like BHP down 5%, Rio Tinto off nearly 7%, and Anglo-American down 13%. All this brings us back to Evergrande Group. Who is Evergrande Group? How have they gotten to this point? Let's get a lot now more on the story. Eunice Yoon following the name, and it's a name, Eunice, that a lot of our American or European viewers may not be familiar with, may have heard in passing. Who are they and what is happening with the company? Well, you know, Brian, the company is the second largest developer here in China. It's a a name that's very well known among the Chinese. And interestingly enough, uh, most market watchers, as well as anybody who invests in Chinese real estate, are currently betting that the government is not going to step in with a direct bailout, not wanting to encourage some of the excessive lending that the company has uh, been known for more recently. It currently owes about uh, $300 billion. And uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, people are quite nervous about what's going to happen next, because they're wondering whether or not Beijing is going to step in at some point. Are they going to think that uh, the risk of financial contagion is too great. And you can see it reflected in the stock price. So the stock price uh, has been trading today at an 11-year low. This is as the um, very heavily indebted company has been uh, trying to raise funds um, for its many lenders, its investors, its, uh, its property home owners, even its staff. In fact, over the weekend, uh, the company said that it's already started uh, paying back or at least making an attempt to pay back some of the investors in its wealth management funds with real estate. It also uh, came out with another statement um, that unnerved some when it said that uh, some of its um, top executives had been um, selling early uh, off some of those investments uh, in, in wealth management funds and that those people were going to be severely punished. So this whole scenario, um, obviously making things very unnerving for a lot of people who invest in the company as well as its related um, 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 units. Uh, the company even had warned that this could lead to some contagion, uh, it said that it's been trying to sell off some of its other assets that are not really core to the business, such as this EV business, and that those sales have not really gone well. So, so the next test, though, Brian, have been um, whether or not the company is going to be able to meet some of the next interest payments, which are due right around today, also on Thursday, yeah. and then later this month on September 29th. Yeah, there's so many angles to the story here, Eunice. And again, I'm not going to pretend to be any kind of an expert in Evergrande Group, but they are one of these 
multi-sort of channel companies, are they not? I was reading a report in the New York Times. They've got Evergrande Wealth, a wealth management arm. Reports that they basically pressured employees to put their money, their savings, into Evergrande Wealth. They've got an auto sales online platform as well. And I think more than one and a half million apartments. So this is a huge company with sort of its financial fingers, if you will, in a lot of different places. It does. Um, and it grew up in a time when a lot of these big Chinese companies, especially those who have been successful in one industry, such as real estate, were encouraged to invest in other areas, to borrow a lot of money, to even look overseas. But now policies have shifted. Uh, President Xi Jinping has been, uh, as you well know, been pushing the idea of common prosperity, making sure that that houses are houses to be lived in, not to speculate. And so that's where the tests um, and the competing interests really lie. People are wondering um, whether or not Beijing is going to prioritize this idea that they do not want to have, um, you know, the, the, the whole financial system have this contagion and potentially lead to collapse. But at the same time, um, they, they uh, want to continue to push this commons prosperity goal, which would mean bringing yeah. down prices and controlling the property sector much more. Yeah, very quickly, I'm going to bring back four words that our viewers, thankfully, have not heard in about 10 years. Is there any talk Beijing may step in? Are they too big to fail? Well, you know, the state media uh, just a couple of days ago said that Evergrande is not too big to fail. And so that echoes uh, one of the reasons uh, why a lot of market players at this point still think that Beijing is reluctant to step in for a private company, um, as it has with some state companies in the property sector recently, um, just because they don't want to see this kind of risky behavior um, in the private sector. Yunishun, on a story that I, I won't say came out of nowhere, but certainly hit us hard today. The stock now down 84% this year. Yunus, we appreciate it. Thank you for shedding some light. Have a great day. All right, well, as we have just said, Wall Street is bracing for a sell-off of the opening bell. We got Dow futures down more than 500, yes, on a percentage basis. That is about 1.5%. Markets also, the Dow anyway, down three weeks in a row for the first time since, well, this time last year. So what better time to kick off a special two-week-long series for you? Go big or go home. Joining us now is Stephanie Link, Hightower Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager, CNBC Contributor, and of course, Global Star. All right, Stephanie, before we get to your fourth quarter picks, <laughs> the reason you were here, we've obviously got these headlines kind of punching us in the face, you know, 5.30 in the morning on a Monday morning as well. I'm not going to ask you to dig into Evergrande Group or who they are, but it kind of shows you that even in a market of wash in liquidity with the Fed, there are global macro risks, these sort of black swans that still can pop up. Yeah, and good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, I think that we were due for a pause. We know that September is very seasonally weak. We do have these concerns about China, not only Evergrande, but what they're doing to the gaming industry, the Internet industry. So there's a lot of concern with, 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 um, with China and what they're doing and their actions. And again, as I mentioned, we have the seasonal uh, issues to get through. And of course, we still have Delta concerns. There's always concerns, though, Brian, as you know, on the flip side, the economy 
in the economic data last week was really quite impressive. And I'm really interested to hear what FedEx has to say this week, because they are a global presence and we'll get some data points from them. But I do think the economy here in the States is strong. I think retail sales really, I mean, you're 10% above pre-pandemic levels in terms of retail sales. A consumer is good. Manufacturing, you have very lean inventories. Industrial production is only 2% below pre-pandemic levels. So I like what I'm seeing on the economic front. And by the way, we have these concerns and we're up 18 percent year to date in the S&P. So it wouldn't surprise me to see a bit of a pullback. But let's let's look for some stock ideas. Let's do that, because you talked about the economy, Stephanie. I spent the weekend in Wisconsin. I didn't walk there. I flew. Flight was sold out. Airports were packed. Hour long waits for for restaurants in Wisconsin. I mean, it was just every but whatever you think of it, people are out and about 30 day tags, all these new cars everywhere. Expedia is one of your special picks to kick off our series. Why? Yes, uh, it's an absolute reopen names. You just mentioned it. It's flights, it's cars, it's cruises. Um, It's lagged the market year to date, only up 15 percent. Second quarter bookings, Brian, were up 32 percent. So the visibility is very, very good. They're taking share in Verbo and they have a cost savings program. They're cutting costs. Margins are going higher and that's going to lead to free cash flow, maybe something like two billion in free cash flow. And I think they could use that to buy back some stock. Another name, and maybe this may be, by the way, Stephanie, the biggest financial services company that we never talk about. In fact, the only time I think I ever mention it (laughs) is when we talk about where the New Jersey Devils play hockey. Prudential, (laughs) P-R-U, totally new management, kind of trying to reinvent themselves. Why do you like this rather quiet giant? It is a quiet giant. I kind of like that, too. Right. So. um, So, yes, you said it. fairly new management and they are shrinking to grow the company. They have asset sales and they are also focusing on growth areas like emerging markets and asset management. And last week they sold 17 percent of their variable annuity book for two point two billion dollars. I think they're going to use that to buy back stock, reduce debt, maybe do some M&A. It's three to four percent accretive to the company over the next two years. Uh, and if you think rates are going higher, which I do, ultimately, they will benefit. And oh, by the way, it trades at eight times earnings and you get a four and a half percent dividend yield while you wait for the recovery. And Cisco, not the food services company you might use to buy food at the Prudential Center, but Cisco Networks, CSCO, <laughs> another name you like to kick off our special. See what I did there, Stephanie? Just kind of linked. I see what you did. You tied it all together. It. You tied everything together. <laughs> I linked, linked it anyway. Oh, oh my goodness. I need more caffeine. <laughs> yeah, Cisco is a great story. Enterprise spend recovery story with very good visibility. Bookings of 41% in the last quarter. And they had a great uh, solid analyst day where they reiterated all their financial targets. 2.6% dividend yield trades at a 20% discount to the market. You know what? We'll let you go get that coffee. And if you can't, you know, the dad jokes maybe adding a little bit of a little bit of spark at 545 in the morning. We're hanging on by a thread. <laughs> Stephanie Link, appreciate you kicking off our special series. Go big or go Thanks. home. We'll have it all week and next week as well. Steph, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Brian. All right. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right. Speaking of, you may want to all go get some more coffee or caffeine because we're going to be talking about taxing wealth. Robert Frank is up next. 
with congressional plans for the estate tax as well. We'll give you the very latest on the negotiations in BC, what they might mean for you. Dow futures off 500. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome, welcome back. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is calling on Congress to raise the debt limit, warning if it doesn't happen, the government will run out of money to pay its bills sometime next month, the so-called fiscal cliff we talk about. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed, she writes in part, quote, the overwhelming consensus among economists and Treasury officials of both parties is that failing to raise the debt limit would reduce widespread or produce widespread economic catastrophe. Tough words there. Well, as that debt limit clock ticks in D.C., congressional leaders are also debating the president's planned $3.5 trillion plan. Also, how to pay for it. Among the many items on the table, that is the estate tax. Robert Frank joining us now with where we stand on that. Good morning, Robert. Where do we know about the so-called death tax? Well, Brian, right now, about 2,000 people paid estate taxes in 2020 and only raised about $16 billion in revenue. That's a 50% drop from a decade ago. The main reason is the exemption, which is now $11.7 million per person, which means estates worth less than that go untaxed. But it's also because the massive estate planning industry has found and created massive loopholes. The House now aiming to close them. The House plan would cut the exemption by more than half to about $6 million. It also effectively ends what are called grantor trusts. These have become the secret sauce for estate plans. They allow business owners to create a trust that they own and control, but is separate from their estate. The House plan would force new trusts to be part of the estate and thus less tax efficient. Now, for investors, the most important change is to so-called discount planning. That allows investors to place a portfolio of stocks or financial assets into a partnership, and then they gift it in pieces to family members. Each piece then gets discounted for tax purposes by up to a third because it is a non-controlling stake. Now, the IRS has tried for years to challenge this, but it hasn't worked. The House plan would actually ban it. Now, the Tax Foundation said that all these changes would expect to raise an additional $65 billion over the first four years, if, in fact, any of this passes. Brian? $65 billion over four years. Is that 15 plus billion a year? I mean, that's like a day's spending in the, in, in the federal government or, or a couple of hours of spending. I mean, <clears throat> we're not talking huge numbers here, but I guess for a certain amount of those families you mentioned, it makes a difference to them. Yeah, and remember, you know, the estate tax only raised $16 billion in 2020, so you're talking about 65 over four years. That is a massive jump for a tax that right now just doesn't contribute much. Very few people pay, and as much as it's debated, it really doesn't matter. So, you know, you combine this with some of the changes in the capital gains tax, and pretty soon you're talking real money. Yeah, you know, and, and all the talk about tax hikes, Robert, we forget. I think it's like a couple hundred billion or even a trillion a year in people cheating on their taxes. Maybe if we actually just collected what is legally owed, the government could help fund some of these programs. Is that a novel concept or am I just, you know, it's 550 and I'm off my rocker? 
No, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, these, the, the aim here is to make them more fair and to close these loopholes, and that's what this aims to do. Yeah, it's like you got a buddy that owes you 100 bucks, and instead of getting the 100 bucks, you demand another 50 from the guy, but just take the $100 and, and move on. All right, Robert Frank, appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Frank. All right, on deck, we're going to switch gears because an FDA panel last week saying not yet the vaccine booster for most Americans. We'll get more on that and where we stand with hospitalizations in Massachusetts with Dr. Oprah Levin next. All right, good morning and welcome back. We are seeing a lot of selling in the markets, at least in the futures markets right now. It could be a tough day for the equity markets. We're already down in the Dow three weeks in a row for the first time since September of last year. Dow futures, they are down 1.6%. That is 560 points on the futures. S&P, NASDAQ also down more than 1%. You've got concerns about the fiscal cliff, the debt ceiling, as well as a company called Evergrande Group in China, one of their biggest property developers, warning about a potential debt default as early as this week. They own one and a half million properties and a wealth management company right now in the pre-market. Some of the financial companies like Goldman Sachs, which have some financial exposure to Evergrande, are down as well. It's going to be a very, very busy day on Wall Street. But right now, let us switch gears and talk about COVID and vaccines and the FDA. On Friday, an FDA panel voted against booster shots for lower-risk Americans under 65 years old. All this as, kind of like this time last year, cases and hospitalizations begin to crash in the South and start to head North. But thankfully, hospitalizations among the vaccinated still remain very, very low. For more on the FDA decision and the state of COVID, we're joined now by Dr. Ofer Levy. He is director of the Precision Vaccines Program at Boston Children's Hospital. Also, he is a voting member of the FDA Advisory Committee that made the vote on Friday. Dr. Levy, fantastic to have you back on. How did you vote? Always a pleasure. Good morning to you and your viewers. Um, I voted along with the other members of the committee on the first vote. They posed a question to the advisory committee about whether we would endorse a third booster dose of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine uh, for everyone 16 years of age and up. Uh, that question uh, uh, received uh, a majority of no as votes, I think around a margin of 17 no to four yes. And then the question got rephrased. Uh, we, we partnered with FDA to rephrase the question for 65 years of age and up and other individuals uh, at risk for severe COVID. And uh, that passed overwhelmingly as a yes. And, you know, there were, of course, some people that thought that that was the wrong decision. Why right now are, for the most of Americans who are at lower risk group under the age of 65, don't have some kind of serious comorbidity. Why is that the right decision now, doctor? Uh, as we make these decisions, look, uh, the, the fact is that vaccines uh, uh, you're giving to healthy people. So safety has to come first. And there simply wasn't a lot of safety data presented to us by the sponsor, in this case, Pfizer, for the younger age groups, uh, particularly in populations here in the United States. We anticipate, as more data come available in the coming weeks and months, 
that this question uh, about third booster doses for the Pfizer mRNA will be revisited uh, by FDA as more data comes. And it's quite possible, I don't want to prejudge it, we take the data as they come, but it's quite possible in the coming weeks and months there will be votes to expand uh, booster, third booster doses to younger and younger age groups. Yeah, and I want to switch gears, too, because, there, listen, doctor, we know from a CDC survey a few months ago, the American public widely and wildly tends to overstate the risk of hospitalizations from COVID. Something like 40% said you're going to go to the hospital. They actually, the answer is about 2%. We are seeing some breakthrough data. Your state, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, very, by the way, great job to them for actually giving us in the media clear data on breakthrough cases. Sadly, 823 hospitalizations among vaccinated individuals. But that is still 0.02% of the vaccinated populations. Where do you stand in hospitalizations? Now I know you're more on the children's side, so hopefully it's very low. And what can you tell us about the, the state of sort of risk we're in right now? Thank you for that. And and I think that uh, it's important, to, uh, in my opinion, to reframe this question a little bit. The main goal of the vaccines against COVID was really to reduce uh, the most dreaded complications, namely hospitalization, uh, transfer to an intensive care unit, and God forbid, death. And the vaccines all maintain uh, excellent uh, efficacy against those mo- most dreaded endpoints. Uh, when we say breakthrough infection, yeah. really... It, it may be an unrealistic metric uh, because th- this, these vaccines were never really uh, billed or, or expected to 100 uh, percent prevent the risk that you could get a, a mild or moderate infection. So these yeah. vaccines are, are safe and effective and, and continue to do that. Now, in terms of uh, risk for hospitalization in, uh, and doctor, burden of disease, it's I really apologize reasonable. for interrupting you. We are out of time. We would love to get you back on soon. You're doing good work. We appreciate you okay. and all your team. Thank you, Dr. Oferlevy. I apologize for cutting you off, sir. Thank you. That's it for us. I ran overtime, by the way. Squawk and the gang, pick it up next. Dow Futures off more than 500. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.